1: Kick out the jams, motherfuckers. This is Wayne Kramer from the MC5, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. One, two, three, four. I need somebody Pantheon Podcasts presents Real Rock with Andy Kane. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. The jams go up to 10,
2: exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder.
1: Music, culture, jail, culture
3: it ever was.
1: technology, was. Plane, hey, and rock and roll. The... Now, on with the show.
2: Welcome to Real Rock. I'm your host, the Rock and Roll Reverend Andy King, and today we will be looking at anti-rock films of the 80s, in particular, the film Hell's Bells. No need to worry about spoilers this time. I'm going to be looking more at the social effects of these films. You can view the whole film Hell's Bells on YouTube if you'd like, and then come back for our discussion. I will still be answering questions such as What the fuck is Jeff Foxworthy so mad at? Were these films the horror movies for the Pearl Clutchers? And finally, can rock and roll and faith coexist? One note I need to make, there will be frank discussions of religion and the satanic panic. Because of the subject matter, there will be brief mentions of abuse and even murders. If these are topics that trigger you, please reconsider listening. I will promise to keep any mentions of that brief. But i love you so i'm letting you know up front i'm the rock and roll reverend andy king and this is real rock hell's bells and the dangers of rock and roll
0: is this just a good time or is there something of a deeper significance going on here as well what type of effects does this music have upon people is it only rock and roll rock and roll is a
3: lie, and that lie almost killed.
2: Hell's Bells, the dangers of rock and roll.
1: We're going to be taking a pretty hard look at contemporary music, and I'll be saying some pretty direct things. Extreme forms of music, like heavy metal, glorify perversion, despair, death, hell, Satan, and all the other horrors associated with sin are rubbed into the face of the listener. Wild sex rituals are necessary to be a follower of Satan. We simply want to look at rock music from the perspective of truth, as defined by both the scriptures and the person of Jesus Christ. Embrace the Satanic, while multitudes scream in adulation. Embrace the Satanic. Embrace the Satanic. Embrace
2: the Satanic. Our story begins in Italy in the early 1700s. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. But as history would have it, this is a very early example of what is known as the devil's music. Violinist and composer Giuseppe Tartini has a dream where Lucifer is at the edge of his bed playing him a sonata. Tartini felt enraptured as he awoke and was compelled to try and capture at least some of what he dreamt through his own playing. What Tartini had dreamt was sonata in G minor, otherwise known as the Devil's Trill. the story of the devil guiding a musician to realize their talents is embedded in folklore fast forward a few centuries and head over to america and let's hear from this young blues man do this morning, you <laughs> knocked upon my door,
3: and I said, Hello, on I
2: believe it's time to go. That's Me and the Devil Blues from Robert Johnson, who definitely played along with the legend that he sold his soul to Old Scratch himself one moonless midnight down at the crossroads. I mean, it's a good story. You get a little danger, you get a little creepiness, and you get a whole lot of notoriety. Eventually, the blues evolved to what we called rock and roll, and wouldn't you know it, the devil tagged along.
0: These men come down here from... New York and from Florida to to find out my reasons on rock and roll music and why I preach against it, and I believe with all of my heart that it is a contributing factor to our juvenile delinquency of today. I 100 percent believe it. And why I believe that is because I know how it feels when you sing it. I know what it does to you. And I, I know uh, the evil feeling that you feel when you sing it. I know the... The the lost position that you get into in the beat. Well, uh, if you talk to the average teenager of today and you ask them what it is about rock and roll music that they like, and they the first thing they'll say is the beat, the beat, the beat.
2: The beat is what gets you. That's true enough. During the early days of rock and roll, the traveling ministers rolled into town to scare the good church going folks. They were told that those forty fives were going to lead their children to sexual promiscuity. And rebellion. But the real reason that rock and roll scared so many in the pulpit was much more sinister. The
0: obscenity
1: and vulgarity of the rock and roll music is obviously a means by which the white man and his children can be
0: driven to the level with It is obvious music.
2: I'm sure the guy in that clip is dead now. That's good. But as America became more integrated and race relations became better, the pulpit needed a new villain, so they went back to the source. Oh, I I just can't imagine who.
1: I just can't think. Could it be Satan?
2: Luckily for the anti-rock crowd, Satan was making a bit of a pop culture comeback. Films like Rosemary's Baby were leading some audience members to believe that secret groups of Satanists were on every street corner. Mentally unstable people like Charles Manson and Richard Ramirez were using rock as excuses for their heinous acts. Through the trusty lens of hindsight, it all seems so silly now. The Beatles weren't sending secret messages to a fucking magic hobo to murder people, but that's a good story. The media were salivating over all the rock-inspired crimes and whatnot, and middle America ate it up. I mean, how could they resist? You get everything with these stories. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, and Lucifer. A good time was had by all. This all hit a fever pitch in the 80s because of MTV. With music videos now being beamed into everyone's houses, parents' groups were starting to take up arms against the perverse influence that was Bon Jovi. Churches across the land were ready to profit off all this anti rock sentiment, most notably Eric Holmberg of Real to Real Ministries. Boy, does he got a real hard on for rock. Incredibly,
1: despite this unprecedented power and the mounting evidence that rock's influence can be less than positive, most people have never stopped to consider what is really going on in and through contemporary music. Why is music so powerful? How does it affect us? What is its source? And to where is it leading us?
2: Sitting in front of a few TV screens playing various music videos, Pastor Eric lays out all the reasons why rock music will make you go crazy, probably go gay, and definitely go to hell. If you haven't seen the film, I need to describe what Eric looks like so that you can fully grasp the unintentional comedy. Imagine comedian Jeff Foxworthy. Imagine a real sweet mullet. Now imagine what Jeff would look like if he opened up a karate school to hit on middle aged moms. That's what Holmberg looks like. He's basically Rex from Napoleon Dynamite.
0: Bow to sensei!
2: Heavy metal does not have a monopoly on blasphemy,
1: however. The 80s have seen the emergence of a macabre brand of rock that combines elements of punk, new wave, and even classical music including artists like The Cure, Bajas, Christian Death, Sisters of Mercy, Diamond Gallas, Nick Cave, the Lords of the New Church, and The Smiths. The occult elements within this new genre are even more disturbing than those in heavy metal, because they are combined with an intelligence and poetic passion rarely found in the latter. For example, when Peter Murphy of Bajas In an admitted takeoff of a satanic mass, chants both forward and backwards the Latin for Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, there's a certain feel, a sinister urgency you can cut with a knife.
2: Dude, that's like 70% of my playlist. Now, I originally wanted to watch this and make fun of it, but I really could not, and we'll get to my reasoning a little later. Obviously, I'm obsessed with rock and roll, but I'm also obsessed with religion, and the concept of rock and God coexisting really intrigues me. To indulge in my obsessions, I sat down with my friend who is a former youth pastor to get his take on this whole thing. Special note... We keep calling Holmberg Humboldt, and I'm not editing it, but I do consider it payback for all the things he takes out of context. Anyway, here's Ron. Uh, Ron, uh, former youth pastor, uh, was a youth pastor
3: from uh, about 1992
2: to 95. At the time, because I know now you're not anti-rock. At the time, were you? Were you one of those no, I was not
3: one of those. I was a Billy Joel fan. <laughs> so REO Speedwagon, uh, yeah. So I was not one of those uh, who was against rock and roll. Uh, but boy, I remember the show that the churches made for Hell's Bells and all that happened. And uh, boy, it was a it was a youth group major event, you know, to, for our church to host Hells bells and everybody can go and watch.
2: Did you feel any pressure from, if you're the youth pastor and I understand the hierarchy of a church, did you feel pressure to preach against uh, rock music, secular music?
3: Yeah, where I was working, you didn't have that pressure as much. I mean, you you saw it around, you know, there was a distinct culture in the churches that went after that type of music. I mean, I, I know I know some of the my friends at, uh, at school came out of that culture.
2: Uh, it was pretty tough. Yeah, I came out of that culture. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you personally, mm-hmm. and I know that you are like a true man of God. Even though you're not a youth pastor anymore, you're not a pastor anymore, you still minister in your day-to-day life. I understand that about you. What is a guy like you, what is your reaction to the charlatans and the people who are trying to profit off of their ministries as opposed to minister?
3: You know, the the old saying, what would Jesus do? I have a hard time laying a lot of what I see on certain television shows and certain preachers uh, saying and overlaying Jesus on top of it. I just don't see it happening. Um, So, yeah, it ticks me off. Uh, It gives what I believe Christianity, true Christianity, a bad name. And I think, uh, quite honestly, there's a lot of people who um, might have been in the same mindset as Gandhi was, which was, you know, I would have accepted Christ if it wasn't for the Christians. So, yeah, there's a lot of people who, unfortunately, are probably going to go to hell because of what those people have done.
2: I think whenever we use the phrase, what would Jesus do? I, I think we have to remind ourselves that throwing over a table and whipping somebody is not beyond the realm of possibilities.
3: And, <laughs> and if, you, if you read the account, you realize that he sat there for quite a while making that whip. <laughs> the satanic panic came out at a time when the church needed something to ignite it because what was currently igniting it and slowly uh, was losing its steam was you had the moral right with Jerry Falwell. You had him actively pursuing morality because of what had happened um, between Nixon and, and then once Ford and Carter entered, Carter brought in religion again into politics Jerry Falwell comes and ignites the conservative base under uh, morality. And then you had, after Carter, you had Reagan. And after Reagan, you had Bush. And so the moral issues were, were fading. The energy was fading within the church. The church needed something to get behind, and it needed an enemy and a face to do it. So what's the easiest way to do is bring Satan back into it. Well, how do you bring Satan into the 90s? You create a movie, you throw Hell's Bells and everything behind it, and then you target rock and roll. And then that's where you know the energy came back, and it drove the church for a good, I'd say probably eight, ten years. At least we had something that we could be upset again, and that happened to be the Clinton administration. Then you hit the 90s again.
2: The climax of the movie is uh, playing, playing the songs backwards and backmasking. What were your favorite examples of backmasking, either in the movie or just in your life? Oh, um,
3: definitely Queen. Um, everyone bites the dust. That that was that. Another one, was,
2: one bites the another, dust. Another
3: one bites the dust. I said everyone bites. The dust. Another one bites the dust. That was classic. Um, oh, I can remember that. Spending the night with my best friend. Uh, at the time And uh, his sister had the album And so it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night Everybody had gone to bed And we were just kind of looking at each other And going, let's see what it really says And so we put the uh, The vinyl I mean, we're talking old school here We put the vinyl on, on the player and Needle down And we started using our finger And just playing it backwards <laughs> and we heard the magic words (laughs) and we just stared at each other like oh my gosh it's real which by the way if you do it really really fast it sounds like a satanic chipmunk but uh, anyway
2: I think the chipmunk's forward
3: so it's kind (laughs) of satanic so we put the album back because obviously we didn't want to be found. and I think we both slept with one eye open that night, knowing that Satan was somewhere in the house because we had called him using
2: the back-masking of, you know, Queen. I feel like uh, the rock and roll sermons, you know, that was, that was the horror movie for the old ladies, you know.
3: It was. It was the closest thing that they were going to get to the radar. Oh, you remember, I mean, there was um, parental advisory... For oh. Hell's Bells. You oh, You yeah. know, kids could only be certain age and older, you know, for you could see Hell's Which Bells. Which really made you want to watch it exactly, so much more. Exactly, exactly.
2: You had, yeah, yeah.
3: All the nursery workers were peeking around the corner trying to catch an eye. You
2: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have I ever explained to you why this makes me so mad? Because this really does. This makes me so mad. The whole satanic panic and all
3: that?
2: Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, When I was 13... My brother died, committed suicide. We had a traveling youth evangelist coming to town. It's a very small town. He came in and and he started talking about my brother. And he had no, he'd never met my brother before, because I would have known. He had an entire backstory about my brother that he had no way of knowing, and wasn't true. He stood in the pulpit and he said that. There was a young man in this town that had committed suicide due to the influence of rock and roll. Because he had let Satan into his heart from rock and roll. Then he said, some of you may have known him. And I went, yeah, he's my brother. You just lied. And from that point until my late 20s, almost early 30s, I was a militant atheist. Because not only, this guy was a traveler. He was coming in to ply his wares, do his little song and dance. They're all con artists. Excuse me. 99% of them are con artists. But nobody in the church stopped him. And also, my brother didn't listen to rock and roll music. My brother liked rap. So, (laughs) he liked Tom Petty and rap. This guy didn't know any of that. And he's completely made it up to scare all the other kids. But I saw how much conviction he had while he was talking about it, and I went, "Oh, so that's it. That's all it is. If I say anything with conviction, I'm right. So I can make up whatever I want to make up."
3: I'm just going to say this: Christians screwed up Christianity. Okay, uh, now there, and and this is something that that uh, me and a couple guys uh, guys we've been talking about this. If you look in the Bible, do you know how many times the word Christian was used in the New Testament?
2: No idea. Three.
3: And two times it was a derogatory, it was a slam. Okay. So only one time in the New Testament was the word Christian actually used in a positive sense. Ain't a lot changed. Okay. The word that was thrown out all the time was disciple. Jesus didn't want Christians. He wanted disciples, people who watched him, mimicked him, and did what he did. The problem is, is that this world has got way too many Christians and doesn't have hardly any disciples. And I'd be willing to bet you that 95% of what's in a church is a Christian, but it ain't a disciple. So I would say you got to find the disciples and not the Christians.
2: I, I I do have to admit that I do agree with Eric Humboldt and his ilk on one thing, and it's one thing I'm going to need you to do for me. Okay? Okay. You really need to burn all your REO Speedwagon CDs because <laughs> nobody should ever listen to that.
3: Oh, no, man. No. Okay, but then can I make <laughs> extra duplicates of air supply?
2: You make me sick (laughs) (laughs) okay I'm sorry to any REO Speedwagon fans out there no I'm not I can't hate Hell's Bells I can't hate watch it as much as I would love to see I owe this film a lot of love actually this film introduced me to so many artists that I still love to this day I had this on VHS, and I cannot tell you how many times I've watched it over the years. I still tell people that this film has the greatest soundtrack of all time, and in a weird, perverse way, it's a fun little excavation for any rock and roll archaeologist. Have you ever watched Reefer Madness Stoned? It's the same thing with this film. And I believe that you can watch this film ironically without feeling blasphemous. And I feel like that because I don't believe Eric believes this. He has way too much rock knowledge for somebody that doesn't actually love the music. Remember, this is all pre-internet. He had to pore over videos, songs, and books to cobble this odd little masterpiece together. Of course, this is common amongst the Bible thumpers. Not the love of rock, but the public damnation of something that you can't control. Pastor Ted Haggart railed against the militant homosexuals. Pastor Ted also did rails with a male prostitute. Jimmy Swaggart preached for decades about sexual impurity. Old Jimmy also had an affair with his secretary. Jerry Farwell hated pornography, but I'm sure it was an intern that told him about the Hustler. Sure, Jerry. I feel really bad about Eric Holmberg, and I feel like he should let his rock love out. So I'm asking all of you in Diggerland to please reach out to Holmberg at com. Tell Eric you know he's a secret rock lover, and invite him to listen to any of our fine Pantheon shows. If we can all persuade Holmberg to love our shows, we make and save him from being an old prude, as opposed to just a middle-aged brood. Eric, if you're listening, we don't judge people here. You are welcome here. But I do have to point out that your main narrative is wrong. Rock and roll won't lead to Satanism, and I have proof.
3: I'm Matthew, and I'm not a Satanist.
2: That's Matthew from the first ever episode of Real Rock. You famously watched Hard Day's Night with me on our first ever episode. You didn't know much rock and roll before then.
0: No,
3: I didn't. I had a change there and started listening to a lot of their music after that.
2: And this is a stupid question, but do you feel like the Beatles want you to worship the devil?
3: I don't think so. I'm going to say no.
2: The reason I ask is because you've become, in the last two years, you've a semi-accomplished praise musician, Has rock and roll influenced your playing?
3: Yes, it definitely has. I've learned a lot of new stuff and added it to my music.
2: You see, people see what they want to see. Holmberg looks at the Beatles and sees dark powers influencing a generation. Matthew was inspired to learn how to play better and used that skill in praise to the same God that Holmberg is allegedly praising. The difference from where I'm sitting is a profit motive. People like Matthew and Ron come from a very real place with their spirituality, with nothing to sell. If Holmberg actually believed what he is teaching, he would have never sold another copy, but there was money to be made. I'm not going to rate this film because it's a little too far out there for that, so watch at your own risk. Thank you for joining me today on this field trip to church. If you know somebody other than Eric Holmberg that might enjoy this episode, please share it with them. Tell them about all the shows. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all over the place. We're taking over the world. Go by the website, Rock and Roll Archaeology, for archives of this show and all of the fine shows at Pantheon Media. And make sure you stop by the T Republic store and pick up some swag. And we all want to know what you're doing out there in Diggerland, So hit me up at realrockpodcast at gmail.com. That's real with two E's. You tell me what you're up to, I'll tell you what I'm up to. Recently, I've been anonymously responding to PTA emails with just saying, get your shit together, Karen. Jesus. But if you do decide to email Eric Holmberg, I've left a link to his email address in the show notes. Please be respectful. We want him to come back to Rock's love. And with that being said, I'm your host, the Rock Reverend Andy King. This has been Real Rock, Hell's Bells, and the dangers of rock and roll.
1: God gave rock and roll to you. Gave rock and roll to me. Save rock and roll for everyone rock and roll Real Rock is written by Andy King and produced by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Jerry Danielson. All quotes performed by actors unless noted. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the R N R A P. We are on Instagram at rnrarchaeology. N R Archaeology. Tweet us at R N R Archaeology.